and welcome to uh, Sonic Talk Special. We've uh, got the great honour to be able to talk to uh, Clayton. I don't know if it's AKA Cell Dweller or Clayton Cell Dweller. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Perhaps you can instruct me on this, uh, Clayton. Uh, it's it's just Clayton, AKA Cell Dweller. Cell Dweller is not my last name. It's just that it's my production moniker. So more people know me as Cell Dweller than Clayton, probably. So uh, yeah, it's just Clayton, AKA Cell Dweller, if you want to know what my project is. Ah, oh, cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Clay. And um, you're in your facility in Detroit, right? Which is a beautiful looking place. Thank you. Labor of love took, took a number of years to kind of get it where it is right now. But this, the, the scary news is I don't feel like I'm done. So, Are you, one of, those, uh, are you one of those people that uh, is continually uh, modifying a workflow and continuing to kind of uh, improve matters? Yeah, I don't. I don't want to get too caught up in like the technical and rewiring and dusting off my cables and getting ridiculous. But I'm always in search of new production methods, new production ideas, new toys, of course. And the, the you know my modular addiction has kind of gotten out of control. And of course, that's just on the quest to find new sounds, uh, think differently, think outside the box. So. I see a new piece of gear and, you know, I, I might as well interject here that you and I are best friends, Nick. You just, you just had no idea. Because, uh, well, we do I, have, we, we do have a certain number of similarities. Now you're also doing review stuff. Uh, I've just done the OB6 desktop and I noticed that you took a look at the OB6 uh, um, yeah. uh, keyboard version. So yeah, we, we have a kind of similar path in many ways, except I think you're probably a much more successful artist and businessman than I am. <laughs> well, I, I guess that's all relative. That's, that, that doesn't even matter. The important thing is we do what we love. Love, you know, but you are the guy that I watch every year at NAM when I say I'm going to go to NAM this year, and then I just have too much to do. And then what I do is I just sit there uh, like a loner in my studio, and I'm just watching Nick Bat talk from Sonic State live at NAM, <laughs> reviewing the new stuff that I go, oh, I need that, I got to get that. Well, so, I do. I do apologize to your uh, bank account in uh, you know, by proxy. I'm terribly sorry about that, but you know, it's all part of the surface, Clayton. <laughs> That's okay. It's 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 uh it's a punishment that I actually enjoy. It's it's all good. So it's really interesting. I mean, your kind of journey started out. Uh, I mean, as much as I know about you, I mean, uh, I have been instructed that a lot of the Wikipedia stuff is nonsense. So it, let, let's leave that out for the time being. But you started out kind of into metal. You know, that was where you kind of first got going, right? So what, a guitarist? Or I noticed you play drums as well, right? Yeah, drums was my first instrument ever. So at thirteen, I believe my mom uh, my mom was working with a woman who had a I guess a son who had a beat up drum kit. It was, you know, it's basically like coffee cans with like, you know, saran wrap on it. It was a terrible drum kit, but my mom got it for cheap. And she asked me if I wanted, I wanted a drum kit. I of course was like, yeah, I can't believe you're going to let me play the drums. Yes. And if I had a picture, I wish I had a picture on how I set that thing up. Cause I had no idea. I think the kick drum was on its side. My hi-hat was over to the right. I had two toms in front of me. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and that's how, so that's how I started. And there was no, there was no internet. There was no YouTube. There was no tutorials. There really were drum teachers, which I couldn't afford. So, um, I, I worked with somebody, uh, who was older than me who played the drums and he offered to take me to a band rehearsal. And that was the first time I actually saw how a drum set was supposed to be set up. <laughs> and from then on, from that point on, I just emulated kind of like how he had it set up and I just listened to music and figured out how to play. So I'm guessing what you're in like live bands and kind of college bands and that kind of thing. Is that how you kind of got your way into the whole music and music production side of things? Absolutely. Um, really, you know, it's like as a drummer, unfortunately, um, you are the last guy to have any say in any music. So what would happen is 
I just wanted to create, but I was the drummer, so I never really had much input except just stay back there and play the beat, just keep the time. So what I would do is I would watch the guitar player and see how he would do a power chord. I had him teach me how to play a power chord, and every time he'd get up to go you know, get a drink or go have a smoke or whatever he was doing, I'd pick up his guitar and, and play. And I finally ended up getting like a $100 guitar. Um, terrible. I couldn't even stay in tune. I mean, all my, my first instruments were terrible and I just, that's all I did. I mean, I really, I really, as a child, I was very, um, I very, I very much kept to myself. I didn't have a lot of friends and, 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 and when music bit, when that bug bit me and I realized that I could actually pursue it without even knowing if there was even an end result, could I ever even do it for a living at 13 or 14 years old? You don't think that way. You just think like, this is cool. And so I stopped playing video games and I spent all my time playing instruments and I learned how to play a little bit of each instrument um, and that is what branched me off when I finally discovered an electronic aspect to music which was probably when I was like 17 or so I had discovered industrial music and to me that had all of these qualities of metal which I loved which was the energy and the excitement but the sound palette was much greater. A lot of that, it, a lot of that stuff was more kind of sample based. The early industrial stuff, wasn't it? It was kind yes. of the the early samplers and you know just kind of throwing in kind of noise and and what have you, right? And and, and a decent amount of synthesizers. I mean, okay. back then, you know, a lot of these guys were driven by synths. So I heard these sounds and I was like, that thing is as powerful as a guitar riff. But it's not a guitar, it's a synthesizer. So how, you know, and then that began my pursuit. I was like, okay, I'm done with the bands. I'm done dealing with egos and everybody else. And I knew I was going to work harder if I was just left alone. When you're with somebody else and you're spitting out ideas, it's easy for them to be like, oh, that's cool. And then you go, okay, I guess that's cool. Where if I'm by myself, I go, that's, that's not good enough. I, gotta, I have to keep working on this. So I just... I bought a four track, um, which of course at the time I could barely afford, but I bought a four track and uh, no computer or anything else. I had a uh, Roland D20 was my first synth workstation that I ever had. And that was my Good sequencer. Choice. Yeah, I mean, it was it was just at the time, that was the time, that was the technology at the time. I couldn't afford it. I have awesome parents and my mom was like, look, I'll put this on my credit card, but you've got to get a paper route and pay my payments every month. You've got to pay for it. Yeah. And of course I did. But I did, but I could have never bought this keyboard. So, you know, that sequencer in the D20, you couldn't copy and paste patterns. So I would write songs. And if I wanted to go back to a verse or a chorus, I had to reprogram. I had to try and remember what the drums were in the verse or the bass line and replay it. So that kind of probably is how I ended up becoming a more progressive artist because I didn't start with copy and paste. I didn't, I didn't have a computer. I didn't have the ability to go, I'm going to write one four bar pattern and repeat it for six minutes. I had to write every bar of everything I did along the way. Wow. So, I mean, it sounds very much like, you know, in the same way that you, you just kind of got some drums, set them up how you thought you had a cheap guitar, you just did it. In many ways, you know, that kind of creative, creative, Creativity through adversity is something that a lot of people who are particularly multi-instrumentalists have in common and can, you know, because they just have to kind of think their way around, you know, a problem that they don't know how to solve. They just go, maybe it, maybe I can fix it like this. I don't know. Well, you know, probably even to this day, but less now than ever, but, but pretty much from my entire career, I have always been convinced that everything I do is wrong. I'm doing it the wrong way. <laughs> that's, called, that's called the creative, uh, um, uh, yeah, that's called the, the, the creative uh, uh, problem, isn't it? It's like you're just convinced that one day somebody's going to go, what? You've been doing it like this? You're a hoax. You're a fake. Yeah, I mean, that yeah, creative yeah, insecurity, yeah. right? <laughs> Neil Gaiman called it the, uh, the fraud police. They're going to come knocking on your dog, door going, okay, we're blowing the whistle. The truth is Time's out. Up. You have no idea what you're doing. 
if people like what you do, it's only because you've tricked them. There's, there's no way you actually know what you're doing. And that's pretty much how I felt my whole life because there weren't YouTube tutorials where somebody could tell me, oh, this is how you do this thing. I, like you just said, had to figure out and I just assumed there's no way, this, is, this can't be the right way to do it. Like this can't be right. I mean, I made complete albums and come, come out the other end of, of completing those albums going, I, I don't, it's a miracle this happened because I don't really know what I'm doing. Like I, there was nobody to learn from. I had nobody to teach me. I just figured it out along the way. Wow. So, I mean, that's, that's impressive. I mean, you know, so from, from those early days, you were in bands and then uh, the Circle of Dust project kind of happened, right? And you were touring and you had a record deal and you went through that whole kind of process. Right. I mean, was that like, was that like, hey, big time, I've made it? Or were you, did you find that ultimately satisfying or was it difficult? Because again, you know, you seem like a guy who likes to just be able to do what you want to do. Was that, how, how did that work for you? Well, you know, um, the first three albums I put out for Circle of Dust, which was the first thing I had done that had, I had gotten a record deal. And back in that day, in, in that time, this was like coming out of the 80s into the early, early 90s. You wanted to make music uh, on any level, you needed a record deal because there was no system of distribution like the internet. That didn't exist. So you needed a label. So I had a record deal and I was making albums, but I worked a full-time job for the first three albums. So there was no like, when I toured, I, I fortunately had a job um, that allowed me to take a few months off, go tour and come back to that job. But uh, I worked. I mean, I worked to be able to, to, to live basically, but I had no social life. I mean, I had, you know, maybe two friends and then my brothers and sister, you know, that's pretty much it. And because I, because I really just wanted to spend all my time, like I worked a full-time job and then I worked more than a full-time job trying to create music on the side. So I'd come home from my job and I'd be up till two or three in the morning playing with, with gear. So, you know, that first record deal, I didn't get any advance. There was no money. I just basically told them, I said, guys, you signed me to do this electronic music, but I don't own any electronic gear. I don't, I, I have a D20 but I, I don't have a, I don't have a sampler. So they fronted the money to, uh, to, for me to buy a sampler, which I got was, I got an Insonic EPS 16 plus a okay. mono sampler, 16 bit, which is really like a 13 bit. When you're passing through, it's actually 13 bit, which is great because I didn't know it at the time, but it adds so much character to the sound that I hear now, but didn't understand then. Um, and it had two megs of memory, two megabytes of memory. There was scuzzy expansions that you could get. I couldn't afford them. Um, I had managed to, uh, uh, this one guy who was a producer, I had asked him some advice because I was doing everything on my D20 with my sampler. And finally, he was like, you need, a, you need a Mac. You need a computer. And so I went down the same path. I'm like, Mom. Wow. So I'm, I'm guessing all of that time, that's a pretty extensive learning curve. I mean, so, you know, the, the, the old adage isn't that, you know, 10,000 hours. I'm guessing you probably did that and some, right, just to kind of learn oh, how to do yes. what you needed to do. And some, you know, I keep coming back to the fact that there was no YouTube, but there was no YouTube. So the local music shops that I would be buying gear from, these guys hated me because I was in there all the time going like, How, why can't I get sound out of this, this, mid, this MIDI channel's not working or I can't. And they finally, one guy was like, um, look, you can pay me 30 bucks an hour and I'll come to, to your house to teach you, but you need to stop asking me questions. <laughs> so, I mean, I got to the point where nobody would help me. So yes, I mean, I... You know, there are people whose pastimes are watching TV shows or playing video games. It's like I read manuals and I can't say that I enjoyed it, but I wanted the information so badly. There was such a hunger to learn and to do to emulate the things I was hearing in other people's music that I wanted to do that I would read a manual from Roland that was translated from Japanese, which is very difficult to understand. And I would try to make sense of it and just 
days upon days playing with the parameter to, f- to figure it out. How's your hex? How's your hex, right, exactly. hex to decimal translation? I bet you're pretty good at that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do it off the top of your So, okay, so all this is happening. When was the, was there a moment when you just went, oh, I'm here, this is it, I'm living the dream, I'm living the life? Was there a moment when you thought this is all, or, you know, I'm, I'm nearly there, or, you know, there was a moment? Absolutely not. Never. I, I think, I think, you know, to this day, I still walk around and go, wow, I'm, I'm still that kid. I'm like, I'm, I'm still viewing my life. Like I'm that kid with a dream to make music. And I stop and go like, look at my room. I get to come down here every day, do what I love to do and put it out. Like I create out of my own head. I just create ideas and people are willing to pay for those ideas or, or I can generate money on those things. And it, I'm grateful for it. I, I'm mystified by that fact. So no, I, I don't walk around going, wow, I worked really hard. I deserve this. Like you don't deserve anything. Nobody deserves anything. But I can say if you put in a lot of hard work and you're willing to sacrifice, you can find some modicum of success somewhere. Some- yeah. I mean, and that's the thing that's really impressive about what you've done as well, because you've taken that sort of route. And it seems to me that you are very quick to realize that actually I need to change this up a little bit. And, you know, I have now have an opportunity to kind of market myself and to be completely in charge of the control. I mean, that takes a lot of work. I mean, presumably you had to start from a, a small point and then build up. But I guess you had a kind of a reasonably large fan base to start with and you, you could translate those. Well, actually, Nick, there's another great story there because this is this is kind of the path of my entire career. This this harkens back to the to the um, you know buying a hundred dollar guitar and a, and a fifty dollar drum kit. It's like me running my own promotion and marketing, my own social media. This was all based out of the fact that the record label system failed me on multiple occasions. So it wasn't like oh, I've built enough, I built enough of a base. I'm going to do this myself. It was. Basically, I was left high and dry. I mean, my first record deal for the Circle of Dust thing came to an end when they basically went bankrupt. And so they informed me while I was on tour, in the middle of a tour, that I had put on my credit card that they were supposed to pay me back for some gear that I needed. I never got paid back for that. They they were like, oh, hey, we're going bankrupt, but um, you can't go anywhere else because we have you under contract. So you're under contract with us. So you can't sign to anybody else and put out any other records. Oh, but uh, we're going bankrupt, so we can't give you money for a new album. So I was completely stranded. And I was going, like, this was just one time out of many in my career where I faced complete failure. Like, this was definitely, this was this was it. I, I, you know, most sane people probably would have given up. But I couldn't. I had to find a way to connect those dots. And a year and a half later, uh, using an attorney I couldn't afford... I ended up getting out of the deal, um, accrued a, a crazy amount of money at the time uh, in, in legal fees, and I ended up getting a, a one-off record deal for the last Circle of Dust album I would ever do, or so I thought, called Disengage, um, from a, another label. Um, and the advance they had given me, at that point I was like, look, I've built a fan base, you need to give me some money. I'm not doing an album for free. I need some money. It was the first album I'd actually gotten in advance, and most of that advance went to paying off the debt that I had accrued just to uh, get you back to back on track. Years, but yeah, just, just staying, just staying alive for that during that time. And then I put that record out and three weeks before that album came out, the guy who was running the label had a nervous breakdown and moved in. He went back home to his mom's house or something. I don't know. I got a call from this parent company I'd never talked to. And they're like, Hey, uh, we have this album here and we don't know what to do with it. And oh, so, man. I mean, I mean, it's just another one of those. So like if people look at this studio and they're like, you know, people are hating on me and they don't, they don't need, you don't know anything about my life. You don't know what I've been through. I've worked really hard for what I have. 
Mom and dad didn't give this to me. I didn't have any rich uncle coming out of the poorhouse to hand me a bunch of money. I mean, I've worked really hard. I've sacrificed quite a bit. Um, and I've earned everything I've, I've built here. And, you know, again, comes back to I, I'm not saying that I deserve it. And, like, I've worked really hard, so I deserve it. But I put the work in, and that has produced a result that has allowed me to continue to expand and do more of the thing that I love to do, which is make music and play with toys. Well, that, I mean, that is really uh, commendable. And, you know, it's a brilliant story, actually, Clayton. So, you know, thank you so much for sharing that. That's brilliant. I mean, and, and, and I think also through adversity, you know, one one's uh, focus is is helped. You know, you, you just kind of, no, I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And I think that's really important. Clarity of vision is a very important thing, whether it be creatively or business or any of those things. So, I mean, I think that's, that's probably one... Uh, facet of you that uh, served you well you can, you can tell that well yeah I, I you know I don't I didn't see it at the time as clarity of vision I saw it as, at the time as like uh, there there's no back door there's no there's no escape route it's like forward is the only way to go and this is what I wanted to do you know uh, a little known fact to, to, to the greater public but I was studying to be a doctor I was in I was pre-med in college that's what I was right. going to do I didn't want to. I didn't. I didn't really want to be a doctor. I didn't like people enough to want to be around them all day. And, <laughs> By bedside manner, right? <laughs> right, right. I guess. And, and I really wanted to make music, but it's like, how how could I do that? And in college is when I actually got my my first few years in college is when I got my first record deal. That was that that the Circle of Dust record deal happened then, um, and I was like, I'm leaving school. I can come back to it if I want, but I have to try this. And and so. It wasn't a clarity of vision where I was like, okay, I can see this path where I'm going to be successful. It was just like someone gave me an inch and I was going to, I was going to, or they, they cracked that door open and I was going to wedge myself in there and pry that door open. And I realized, you know, it took many years for me to really see that no one is going to really care as much about your thing as you. And so you think you're on a record label or you've got somebody like a manager or somebody else that, that, that wants to help you. Still, at the end of the day, you have to help them help you a lot of the time. So I was constantly yeah. working. If I wasn't creating music, I was thinking of marketing ideas without even me realizing at the time that they were marketing ideas. And I was feeding them to the record label. Hey, what if we do this? Or what about doing that? Or hey, I made this little promo tape thing. You want to give, you know, I was trying to do things to connect to an audience and then tour and do things like that. But it wasn't because I knew what I was doing. It was because I knew that I had to do something because I saw that other people around me weren't doing it, doing the things that I thought right. they were in place to do, you know, like record labels should do. So, yeah, I mean, some of this was like, it, luck has nothing to do with it. It's a lot of hard work, but some of it was me just happening to make the right choices yeah. at the time without realizing that that's what I was actually doing. Well, I mean, it's obviously working. I was checking your YouTube channel. I mean, over 130,000 subscribers. A, a thing of, did you get the play button at 100K? I did. It's hanging in the uh, in the studio. Uh, I'm studio. so I'm so after one of those. That's my next. Uh, we're at about ninety k now, so I'm working on oh, it. So yeah, <laughs> so I hope so. So you know, you, you also you know, big time in the studio. I'm guessing were you doing any external production on that side of things? I mean, was that something that you also do, or is it mostly working on your own stuff? Back then, it was only it was only my own stuff. Um, I mean, there was no money, so I was really I was scraping by. I would get a little advance for an album. Um, and then I would live off that for as long as I could until I can get to the next album or do a tour, which really touring a lot of times was not really a money making proposition. It just helped me pay the bills and just stay 
at 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 the equator. Like at, at, I wasn't in the red or in the black. I just yeah, I you were just, just able to, to go. So and, I mean, also it, you you must have been transitioning through, you know, because we went from uh, linear recording with sort of tape based systems and what have you. So you've come through the whole Pro, Pro Tools thing, and that was particularly in metal and rock. That was really big, but it did lead to quite a lot of, of records all sounding kind of very similar because there weren't that many different plugin types and audio interfaces. I mean, how did you ride that whole thing and kind of keep your own thing going on? Well, I, I started actually with ADATs. I, I graduated from like a four track and going to other people's studios. My first thing was I ended up getting over time, not at once, but I got three ADATs and two of them were the Fostex RD8s, which were like, they were like the Elisa's ADAT, but on steroids. It had more features and all this. So I had VCR tapes, which I still have in a bin in my storage closet. Um, uh, you know, I, you know, a mile high of just VCR tapes, which are basically the ADAT tapes. And then when I finally graduated to a Pro Tools system, I, I again, I couldn't afford it. Um, a project that that uh, uh, friends of me, friends of mine, wanted me to work on uh, one of their albums. Um, I was like, look, okay, I'll, I'll work on this, but you're buying me a Pro Tools system. And it was like the baseline Pro Tools system. It wasn't even uh, the hardware. I think you had like four or eight voices that would run off like. I can't remember. It was like some little PCI audio card. I can't remember what yeah. the system was. It was very, very basic. Um, but I, I managed – that was my first foray into actually – into digital audio. Uh, I had done some things by transferring over SCSI cables and MIDI cables, which sounds ridiculous. It's a terrible idea. But back and forth with my <laughs> Roland 760, you'd sit there and you know you can go make a sandwich and uh, watch a movie and come back and your MIDI transfer of, of a kick drum finally – Finally yeah, may- made it over maybe, the unless there's a checksum error, of course, yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that only happens at the very end when you've been staring at your screen for an hour. It's um, funny you should say that there, because in terms of production, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, that downtime, you know, waiting for stuff, ADATs to rewind, samples to transfer, things to save, blah, blah, that's kind of gone now. I and mean, now it's just what, what excuse do you have not to be doing something? You know, you just sit there. I mean, that whole natural pause the natural kind of breathing of a session is sort of gone away hasn't it 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 definitely has the the workflow has changed the environment has changed um you know i mean really if i had started production now if i was 14 15 years old now my career trajectory would be completely different because i could be making such better sounding music at such an earlier stage than i did in my own career um because the technology has advanced the information is accessible anywhere. Um, you know, it's like there's a lot of pros to be starting out in music right now as opposed to late 80s, early 90s like I did. Yeah, they, things, have, things have changed pretty drastically. So you also um, play live. I mean, there's a bunch of uh, 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 footage out you, uh, oh, there. There's a, uh, a Blackstar DVD uh, where I, I, I grabbed a couple of clips and it looked really, you know, like you're really going for a live thing. Obviously, there's a small band. I mean, do you, how, do you, how do you use technology live? Because obviously you can't play everything. You haven't got a live drummer, that sort of stuff. So, I mean, what, what are you using in there? Are you using Ableton like everybody else? Well, um, it depends on the tour, and I've changed things up for almost every tour. I've done tours with a five-piece band, and we'd be playing like more like rock clubs and things like that. Um, the Live Upon a Black Star DVD that you mentioned was me and Brett, who is Blue Stolly. He's an artist that's signed to my label, Fixed. And um, I kind of asked him at the time, I'm like, hey, do you want to come out and be another member in Cell Dweller Live. I'm thinking about scaling down the whole band thing. I hated playing rock clubs. I hated doing the whole five-piece band thing where you can't even hear anything on stage. I'm really more motivated by electronic production than I am metal. I can do mm. metal because I don't even need to think about it. It's easy. Um, 
but electronic is what I'm really passionate about. That's what I really that which really moves me. So I started thinking, why can't I just do a tour that's more electronic? So yes, there was no live drummer per se, um, but I was drumming up on screen. So the screens on stage, I filmed 75 minutes of of footage of of of, of original footage of me playing drum parts, doing backing vocals. Um, which if you see it, it's not like lights are on me and you could see this like 20 Clayton's on stage. I, I dimmed, I dimmed everything and did it in a creative way. So it didn't look like I'm a man. Yeah, so it's a made, made, made kind of effectively playback part of yes. the spectacle rather than, you know, a kind of, Oh, that's not this. That's not that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm playing up the fact, like I'm not trying to, uh, uh, I'm not trying to hide the fact that background vocals are coming, are flying in from somewhere or the drums are, there's two dudes on stage. There's, like you said, there's no way this is all live and I'm not trying to pretend that it is. Um, but it was all, there was live guitars. There were two live drum kits on stage. There was live synths, uh, all the time, obviously live vocals. Um, and then after that tour, I decided I wanted to just do a one man show and I put together a, a one man show and I did uh, both of those tours. I used Ableton, which was really the first two times in my touring history uh, that I actually used a computer at all on stage. The time I had, the times I had toured before then, the technology wasn't there. Computers weren't stable enough. Ableton no. didn't exist. Um, yeah. You weren't going to use Pro, Pro Tools playback. That's for sure. Um, so I was using ADATs live, which, you know, those things. <laughs> Rewind. Oh, my God. Exactly. <laughs> change, change the tapes. I'm curious. I mean, you know, you've done a lot of play. So you played in five-piece bands. You play in small. Do you find that the experience is better, worse? Because obviously when there's five people on stage, the one advantage that you do have is something can happen that none of you individually is responsible for. It's a thing that creates. But whereas when you're relying on sort of playback and technology and it's all you, can you enjoy it in the same way? Yes, I think so. Because I, the way I, I work and the way my brain works is I like having structure. I'm not, I'm not the guy to be like, hey, we got a synthesizer on stage. You want to come up and improv? No, I don't want to improv. I don't right. want to make a fool of myself. I like, I like thinking out. I'm an editor, so I create. And then I sit back and I listen and I go, okay, that's not working. I need to change this and let's change it. And this is what I would do with my live shows is I would edit the live shows until I felt like this is a good representation. Then all the live playing um, over the top of the stuff that's pre-programmed is where some of those happy accidents happen. So there's an element of both worlds. where I, It's controlled enough where I know there's a format. I've set up markers so we can stop and start the set, talk in between if I want to, jump to different songs if I want to. So there's an element of me being able to move things around uh, where video and audio are all triggering you know, at the same time for each song, but I can change the order of those things. Um, but they're structured enough that like, there's no surprises for me. Like I'm not, I'm not wondering if, uh, how this is going to go over tonight. You know, I pretty much right. have a pretty good idea that it's going to work. Yeah, no, that's uh, yeah. I can understand, it's particularly if there's just one of you. I mean, because rehearsal, you know, it's it. There's not, it's that recur. It's like we were talking about the creative insecurity. It's that dream, isn't it, where you're on stage and somebody goes one, two, three, four, and you're going, "What's the, I don't even know who this band is. I don't. I don't know how to play this instrument. Oh my god, you know what's going to happen now? Yeah, you don't. You don't want any of that, right? <laughs> no, no. And and those are the the nightmares uh, that I would have. You know, pre tours. I I literally would have nightmares where I was on stage thousands of people staring at me and I'm looking down at my guitar going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, no, that, that you need, you need to have some muscle memory in there and, and you know, and also there's an element of being up, you know, cause you're a creative guy. There's an element that where you, where you come to a point where you think my instinctive behavior is good enough. You know, my, my just kind of, I, I can just kind of 
do something and it will be okay. You know, it's not going to be terrible. It's unlikely to be terrible. I know that I can do this probably. It might be brilliant or it might be just not, you know, a bit less than brilliant, but I know right. that I, I'm able to come up with the goods when I need to, right? Yeah, and, that, and that's something that I think has taken, for me personally, a long time to, to, come, to that, come to that point. Um, because really, like, a lot of time in my career, a large portion of it, if you look at it on the graph, I would probably say, like, no, I'm not confident that I could pull that off. And I don't – I think if I do it, it's going to be shite. Like, I, let's, 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 not, let's not even try it. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, there's, there's a point now where I feel like, okay, I have a pretty good sense. I mean, look around at the technology. I mean, modular synths – five years before I ever bought a single modular synthesizer, my friend Adam tried to talk me into getting one. And I just was like – I was kind of intimidated by it. Like I use soft sense, but it's like still I'm like going, man, this is a whole different ball game. And these things don't really make sound on their own. You've got to like get a bunch of them and then patch these cables. Like I don't really understand like how that works. So I kind of shied away from it and, you know, like getting into it and now having spent again, another, another part of my career, where I've spent a lot of time trial and error. I've got people asking me like, how do you get stuff in and out of the box? And because I've spent a lot of time, um, it's the same, same thing as when I was a kid. It's like, nobody's really there to tell me how to do it. So, so, and I can only find so much information online. So it's a lot of me just doing trial and error. Well, um, it's, and it's, but, in, I mean, you have a massive modular system. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you know, I guess you've transitioned, you know, you, you let's say you've fully embraced this sort of scenario and you use it. In, I've, I've seen a couple of the videos and you use it in very interesting and uh, exciting ways. I mean, are you sitting there waiting for the new stuff to come out or do you have kind of things that you go, I really, this is, this is it. This is something that I know is, is beautiful and, and, and you know, I would reach for. Uh, it's, it's a combination of both. Um, I feel like there was a moment where, I was probably more um, excited about what was coming out, and I need to get that new thing. Um, and then I, I kind of go through phases, and then there's times where I'm like, okay, I've got, I've got what I need right now. I need to produce. I need to create sounds. And it's not like I buy stuff and then install it and then don't use it. Generally, I end up creating a lot of music when I get a new module or a series of modules because they're, in, they're inspiring on some level. That's why I get them to begin with. Um, I'm in this phase probably for the last year where I've, I've hardly bought any new modules. I've got a few, but, but not too many because – I have a pretty big system. Um, it is expanding. I think I'm going to put another rack, like the rack that's over here. Yeah. I think I'm going to put a, a matching one over here. I don't know. Well, that's that gives you a fair bit of room to grow. I would yeah. say, Clayton. So, I what is it? What is it about? I mean, what is it about the you know, electronic stuff that really gets you? I mean, where did you start with modular? What was the first thing that you bought and that made you think, "Wow, this is really going to, you know, change my life"? Or well, okay, so so I guess the, the place to start, of course, is me doing months of research. I don't even remember what started me thinking about modular synths, but I started doing research on YouTube. And at this time, the only stuff you could really find was like flip phone footage of guys making weird blips and bleeps. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know. So I started just doing research. I joined Muff Wiggler, you know, the forums, and I started doing some reading and uh, doing as much research as I could. There weren't a lot of produced videos like there are now. And... Um, I ended up, uh, because of the Muff Wheeler Forum, I was reading this thread where it's like, hey, if you don't know where to start, buy an all-in-one system so that you yeah. have a full one or two voices. It's got a filter. It's got your VCAs, everything you need to do to make a full voice. And I had a Minimoog Voyage, uh, uh, excuse me, a Minimoog Model D, uh, an original like 1976 or 1973 was the one I, I had originally. Um, which I unfortunately sold for a Voyager. So I kind of understood hardware a little bit, but the modular thing was different. So I ended up getting a Pittsburgh modular foundations. Yeah, nice sounding system. 
Yeah, it's a great sounding system, and it was affordable at the time, and it had everything I needed. And I actually would read through the patch; they had patch suggestions, and I would actually go through and do them to see what how things worked. Like it got me wrap, helped me wrap my brain around how to patch things. And what ended up happening is when I started using the filter and hearing the oscillators, I started recognizing like this sounds like the Prodigy, and this sounds like uh, you know Crystal Method, or like some of the guys that I knew had used in electronic music for years, or Tangerine Dream. Like wow, this sounds like those records that I've been listening to for years, and I can't get out of the box. Like this is that sound. So that was what really made me start going, okay, what else can I do here? And I started, I just started building from there. Is there is there an element to because I mean you say you were in the box for a long time you know which as many of us were you know it, it, it's down to space it's down to time you know now is that uh, do you find that you you sort of hanker after a hands on approach to things you know you're a guitarist you that's a real thing synthesizers obviously a real thing some of these other things are you funny you, you just kind of you enjoy the physicality of it of course I mean there there there's a large aspect to I think societally, worldwide, we're seeing a shift back to, I don't want to say necessarily analog, but we're, we, have been, we have been on these devices for too long where everything that we do is in this tiny little screen and we've forgotten that there are tactile controls. So why is there a resurgence in vinyl and people buying record players? There's a whole revival of cassettes. Like I've released my last two albums I did this year on cassette. Uh, as limited edition releases, and they both uh, one is one is completely sold out, and the other one was just launched this past Friday, so we're already halfway to, towards sold out. So there's this aspect of, of I think people wanting um, to reconnect with humanity. It's like okay, we have hands, let's use them more than just tapping a glass screen. So for me, producing it's like it's, it's all about jarring your own workflow. Like you get into a mode, and then everything you create starts to sound the same. So you have to jar that, that workflow, jar that process, mix it up, use a different plugin, use a different piece of hardware. And, and that was what Modular provided for me. My last main Cell Dweller album, which was End of an Empire, almost all the sound design on that whole album was done on the Modular synths. And, and I'm not talking about just the synths. I'm talking about drum processing, vocal processing, live bass, uh, live guitars, um, running them through like my shipment, uh, my shipment filter, or you know, using the Hertz Donut to create bass lines, or uh, you know, there's there, there any number of things, and, and and I loved it, man. It was there was there was a whole different aspect to creating this record or this album that that I had compared to the one before it, which was done almost entirely in the box. I noticed uh, you just had a uh, the album, uh, the Scandroid album, which is another one of your projects. Synthwave came out November the 11th, uh, but was it yesterday or the day before you released the cover version of Tears for Fears Shout, which is an interesting uh, a, a, a track to choose. What made you choose that track? I mean, is it uh, is there a special resonance there? Yeah, I, I um. I had this opportunity. I had this thought. I'm not like a cover guy. I don't often do covers, although I did cover the Imperial March and that has gotten a pretty good response. Um, I've done some covers throughout my career, but I don't make a habit of it. But I knew I was doing this synth wave kind of like 80s new wave kind of album. And I figured, OK, here's my chance to do what I want to do, because in the 80s, when I was making metal, I really wanted to be making new wave because all the guys that were making new wave that I knew 
had more chicks than I did. They got <laughs> way more attention from the girls. Um, they were cooler, in my opinion. Metal was like, it, we were like the unpopular kids, and I was an unpopular kid. So it's like we were the long-haired, you know, kind of dirtbags that kind of hung out together. We had a few things in common. We'd watch Headbangers Ball on MTV or something like that. Um, and we had our kind of our own thing. But New Wave was like this, that was the, that was the masses. That was like... Depeche Mode and stuff, you know, things like this. I was like, wow, I, I could never be like that. So I was enamored by those sounds and that style of music since the 80s. And now coming back to it, I'm going, okay, if I can cover a song, I made a list and I actually asked my fan base. I'm like, if I'm going to cover a song, what would you guys want to hear me cover? And there was a, a ton of, of course, we got Rick, Rick Astley in there, you know, never going to give you up. And I mean, how could, how could you not? But um, there, was, there were quite a few suggestions, but there were, there were a number of them for Shout um, or... or um, Mad World or something from, you know, the, the big Tears for Fear songs. But songs from the big chair for me was a really, that was me, that I heard, I heard Shout on the radio in 85. Um, and then, you know, Disintegration by The Cure sometime later. This opened my mind to like. Well, it's production, isn't it? Yeah. And also oh, the production, produ a, a little known fact, but uh, Tears for Fears are in fact from Rand from Bath, which is where we're based. And so, you know, that, that, that whole kind of scene happened around here. There's a lot of musicians who are involved in those projects. In fact, uh, Will Gregory, uh, who's a guy I work with in golf rap, band golf rap, he played saxophone on Songs from the Big Chair. Mother's Talk, all of that stuff. That's him. Yes, really. Wow. Yep. Yeah, so there you go. That's just a little bit of a, a snippet. But yeah, their stuff is sort of anthemic and stadium. I mean, they did big stadium tours and right. So, yes. I mean, I guess that's pretty formative. Yeah, and it, well, to me, it wasn't even about like, I mean, there was MTV, but it wasn't like there was the internet really where you can go, oh, wow, look at them playing these. It was, it was the album. It was the music. It was just open. The songs were great. Um, uh, you know, uh, like that whole album, I could listen to that entire album over and on cassette over and over and over and I, and I did I wore it out and I was actually in California when I bought the cassette working I was working for a company that had us traveling and recording like dentist conventions it was really stupid it was a terrible job but it but it, it paid bills so I did it and I was in California and I actually uh, I bought the cassette out there and I remember having my walkman and the whole time I was out there just it just it just solidified the vibe of being in California at the time attached to that album it just left something in me that resonated when now here in 2016 i'm like i could cover a song for me it was like i i want to i want to do a version of shout and i don't want to annihilate it i want to respect it like i I'm, I'm not making fun of the song i love it well i think we'll probably drop a little clip in here at some point so uh, people can make their own but i mean it was only out a couple of days ago and it's already had a pretty decent number of views um i wonder whether or not uh it would be a good time to maybe try the remote thing and have a look around your studio because i mean you know your studio is such a thing of beauty you've obviously put a lot of work into it it's got a lot of really interesting equipment that's kind of you know a, an electronic musician's wet dream effectively so i wonder if we might try that let's try it oh man is that a 200e that's 200e. Oh, boy, let's start there. So that, I mean, I guess the day that you thought I'd like to get one of those and you could must have been a magic moment, right? <laughs> Un unbelievable. Like, I, 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 I right, right down to, uh, you know, this is a $4,500 module. I was like, I'll never, ever buy one. And, you know, just buy, sell, trade. You know, I was on the Muff Wiggler forums, and the, I guess nobody was really interested in in. in buying Buchla at the time. So this thing had dropped under like over 50% off what it would be normally to buy new. And I was like, okay, I'm buying this thing. So I got it. Um, yeah. So, and, and this was something that I built over time. It wasn't like I bought a system. I bought a piece of a system here with this three tier rack um, and then started filling 
you know, like I would do with my other modular systems, I just started filling, uh, just buy modules and fill it up. In fact, I have a couple of uh, modules sitting in a drawer right now that don't fit in here at the moment. I'm probably going to sell that guy because I have this one. I bought this one, which was a DIY version of this. Wow. I've always had a hankering for a... um a Buchla system, but I've never, you know, in the UK, they're even more expensive because of the dollar thing. Wow, that's right. beautiful. And how, how long have you had that? Uh, probably two and a half years. There are wow. some videos I have up on my YouTube channel of me doing some performances on this. So it's probably been about two and a half years. Oh, that's beautiful. So uh, yeah, that I, I, I'm digging that one. So let's have a look around and see what else you got. Okay, so let's go to the main rack, which is this. So up here, this is my Roland S760 sampler, which is the second sampler I ever bought, and I did a lot of my early albums on that. The actual unit is down there. Have you got a and zip? Have you got a zip drive for it, or were you? Oh, uh, yeah. Were you a Psyquest oh, yeah. man? Oh yeah. No, I had. I have. I don't know if you can see it. That's a CD-ROM. <laughs> CD-ROM drive there. There's two. There's a jazz drive and a zip drive. It's just there's not enough light right now, but sweet. I don't have, these lights are out. There's my Moog vocoder right there, which I absolutely love. Oh, beautiful. And the Metasonic, the Metasonic's KV100 there, which is a crazy distortion unit. Yeah, he's the, he's the man whose publicity you can't publish anywhere because it's so uh, it's so, <laughs> right. it's so it's profane. Very, <laughs> yes, I have the uh, I have the Scrotum Smasher pedal in my in my keyboard room, so I I'll show it occasionally online, but I'll, I'll never tell my mother that I own it because it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a sweet system. I mean, you know what what does it take to get a place in your system and what is it that is it just if there's a space and you fancy something i mean you are you the kind of guy that swaps kind of stuff out a lot and changes it up or you like to keep it i don't it? i don't because i there was a long time where i did i wanted to like get everything organized like, yeah, i have all my make noise here and i've got all you know all these different types i've got all my distortion units up here and i start you know then you buy a distortion unit module then i would spend four hours taking things out and restructuring them and I'm, i finally was going you know what i need to make music i need to not sit here and turn this into an art project I, I enjoy doing that sometimes, but like I, I want to, I don't want to get too caught up in kind of the minutia and, and and forget that I'm supposed to be making music with this stuff. So I'm just, I just. That's try a to well. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would argue that perhaps you know, getting a modular system is perhaps not the. That's that. That's that whole thing about modular time. I mean, are you able to be kind of quite quick and uh, you know efficient on this stuff, or do you find you start, like everybody else? You just. You it's know... it's it's depends. It depends on the content I want. You, you know, the one thing uh, that I have that is. Now it's a little more common, but it wasn't very much in common when I first started. Was that I really got these things to make music? I love blips and bleeps. I love IDM. I I listen to it all the time. I made some of it, but really I make music, and I, and I, so it's a little bit harder, as you know, wrangling a modular system because you have to manually tune every oscillator. So anytime I'm going to use my Hertz donut, I'm, I'm I generally just tune by ear at this point. I don't even use a tuner anymore. Um, so I'm tuning oscillators and making sure they're in key before I record them in, and then once. Once you touch a knob or pull a patch cable, it's gone. It's done. So yeah. I've gotten to the point where I can wrangle in a sound pretty quickly, like if I kind of know what I want. Like I was making, I'm working on a drum and bass track right now, and I wanted a, I wanted like a very fast 16th note arpeggiator. So I ended up using my Metropolis and my uh, Macbeth Micro Mac, and you know, in five minutes, I had a pattern going. And I recorded it in. And I the micro the micro Mac is supposed to be. I um, the Macbeth stuff sounds gorgeous. I must say. Oh, yeah. it's go it's go man. I have to say, Ken Macbeth is he is a genius. I mean, there is no question that this thing has. A, I would love to get an elements, but I don't know that I can 
justify seven grand for, for, for that. But it's like, these things are just, they, they really sound great. And I ended up expanding here. So I ended up getting the, the, um, the, uh, oh yeah, the, the new little units, right? Okay. Yeah, the X series stuff. So I've got the oscillator, the filter, uh, and the envelope generator there. Um, and you know, he makes five U versions of his stuff too. I just had a hard time getting it, and I just ended up getting the Eurorack versions. Ah, right. Okay, gotcha. Wow, so, that is a um, seriously impressive rack. <laughs> yeah, you know, not something you say to a young man very often. Right. But... Exactly. It's that's most. Yeah. Right. I'm sure many women hear that a lot more than uh, than dudes, but. There's not a lot of traffic in my studio, so it's nice every once in a while for somebody to tell me that I have a nice rack. It's kind of refreshing. Okay, so this is this like kind of sequencer type of stuff on this sort of rack, and what's happening? Well, here? I've got you know I've got a couple of skiffs down here with some extra stuff. Um, th this has been you know this is probably five five to six years old of me just kind of building this system. It's a custom made rack I had I had made. Then I had this tower made because I wanted to house my five U stuff. So what I really wanted to do is I didn't want to get stuck on like one format, although Eurorack clearly is the most flexible and is what most people are developing for. Sure. But I I went into the synthesizers.com realm and I've got a I've got a system there. Um, nice. and then then doing some research, I'm like, I want some mod can stuff. So I ended up getting, you know, outside of just Eurorack, uh, I ended up getting a bunch of mod can stuff, which definitely has its own sound that I've created some really interesting and cool pieces using just the mod can modules there and of course uh with five u stuff you're you're kind of future proofing your studio because when your eyesight begins to fail you'll still be able to use some of it right very true i'm, I'm almost there nick i'm almost there <laughs> so that's the left hand side i mean you know uh, what's the what's the desk that uh, at the center of your uh system so this is my ssl uh aws 900 plus console. Ah, okay so that is, you know, a true SSL. It does, you know, it does does uh, double as a DAW control, which, to be honest, I I've tried using a few times, and it's more of a pain in my in my ass to use. So I, I actually don't. I'm in Cubase right now, but I jump generally to different DAWs. Um, FL Studio is actually they just launched a Mac Alpha, so they have an Alpha version of. Yeah, uh, I know because you use that a lot for uh, sound design work, don't you? Yes, I guess yes. cutting when stuff up. Yes, when I discovered that I could use it for sound design, I actually uh, started doing some design for my um, uh, End of an Empire album, and it, and it it was that same thing like modular. It was like it was a new way to think about creating music because the way that that doll works is so different from anything I'd ever used that a lot of times I was very frustrated. But it also ended up pulling a lot of creativity out of me that I didn't even know I had in me because, uh, ah, you know, mixing. okay, that's a really interesting concept. So using using unfamiliar tools, whereas you know, because most right. of us with DAWs are really conservative and with it, I can't be bothered to have to deal with stuff I don't know, right? Right, and, and but you know, it's 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 that same thing. It's like how much work. There are some people that they just want to keep cranking out music, and that is respectable. I wish I could do that. I'm not a template guy. Every time I start a session, it looks like that. It's completely blank. And the only template part of it is probably my modular routing. So I've got things going. So when I'm hitting play on my transport, my clocks are running and going to all, to my whole system. Sure. So I don't start with like a template. And, and, and so, you know, in search of new sounds and a new sound design, a lot of times like I'm more interested in, that's why I buy new modules. That's why I buy new plugins. It's like, I'm trying to jar my, my, the way of thinking. I don't want to just reach for the same things I reach for all the time because, you know, there's times to be expedient. There's times you have to produce quickly, and then there's other times where you 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 need to uh, you need to experiment. I feel like that's important to what your end result is going to be.
Yeah, and I think that's a, that, that's a valid point. I mean, I guess, you know, also because you've got your setup, you know, as you like it, you've got a beautiful space, you've got, I'm guessing, you know, you know the sound, you know the speakers, you know all of those things, then you can play with a lot of the other parameters as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, I once I can dial in a sound on something unfamiliar, I have other tools that I know I can wrangle it, for right. sure. It's just, it's just, you know, the actual creative part of that initial sound is where I need to, you know, I don't need to, but there's times I want to. I want to try to get a sound I haven't, I haven't made before. So that was actually why I ended up starting to use FL. Ah, okay. But really, Cubase I, is my Cubase is my main home. Right. Okay. So that's the center section of your console, right there. So, yes. um, all right. Uh, maybe we can flip back to uh, our our other stuff. Is there other stuff you want to show me before I? Yes. Do I you want to see like any that. of this? Yeah. Stuff? Oh wow. So there's a, there's some more. Oh, you've got a uh, um, Swarmatron. Swarmatron. Nice. So this is the this is this is a, a I, I wouldn't say limited, but this is the more rare version. This has FM. So this this model has the ability to FM. So these these rocker switches have three locations instead of just two because the third the third state allows it to actually pick the oscillator that is frequency modulating the other oscillators. Ah, have you and seen? It a, yeah, it has a little breakout box, so I can break out from MIDI to 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 connect to my other modular. Oh, uh, nice. The rest of my modular system. Have you seen? Uh, you might well be interested if you like. If you love that, the uh, Lyra Eight. Have you seen the Russian guy, uh, the Russian synth that's basically a drone machine with multiple oscillators in it? You should check that out because I think you're going to. What is have it? The buy. Lyra Eight. No, Lyra... I, 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 yeah, I'll yeah. need to check that. Is that relatively yeah. new? Yeah, he's building them now. They're not. Uh, that that you know they're in production, but uh, yeah, only about five hundred euros, so pretty reasonably priced. Anyway, yeah, that's, that's very reasonably. I've just I might have just talked you into euros. something. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, that's I know. There's a guy. There's a guy in the UK, uh, Adrian Utley, and I think Will Gregory's got Adrian Utley for Portishead head guy. He's got one of those, and he plays it live oh. quite a lot. So, man, that's hard. That's a hard beast to mang to 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 wrangle live. I have to. I have to. Give him props yeah. for that. I don't think it's necessarily all that pitch, but it's a beautiful thing. So what else have we got on that side? You got the Avalon stuff and Yeah, got some Avalon. I've got some U well, I've got some U5s down here that I use for pre's. Unfortunately, the, it's dark. I don't have lights down here. Um I've got my uh LA2A there that I use for vocal. I've got a U610, a Universal Audio U610. I've got a couple of distressors, um Axis Virus which you can barely see there and some MIDI interfaces um my 1073 is there this is an actual vintage 1073 and then these are actually uh these are recreations these are clones and they and the reason i bought those is because i ab'd i had this i borrowed these ab'd them and it's very very minute amount of a difference and and these were considerably less money right uh, because you know the the originals are constantly climbing in value yeah well that, that series of yeah, I've got a series of distortion pedals that I have wired into my patch bay here so I can route any source from any, you know, from any source into a pedal and back out. Uh, what do you what do you use what do you use to get the kind of uh, to make them the right the right gain levels? Have you got some some uh, some tricks for that or do you just feed it in plus 4? No, this uh, it depends I guess it depends on the source, but the patch bay uh, is already wired. For the m most most for the most uh, part I'm generally sending line level stuff in. Right. Uh, like I got my my I'm molting my guitar signal and I'll just pull that guitar, plug it into here or uh, you know, modular synth or something like that. I just hijack it out of my uh, my is output. That, is that a Yamaha um CS8 down there? Is that a Yamaha CS? Reface CS. CS. That's the Reface. Yeah, the CS. Yes, yeah, the Reface CS. Nice sounding little synth, isn't it? This is all over the Scandroid album. 
It's a nice sounding little synth, isn't it? It kind of got passed by. They they were really suffered from the mini keys debacle, unfortunately. But they're nice little synths, aren't they? I didn't know. I didn't know why. But when I was getting ready to buy one, I had noticed that they were dropping in price already, and I I was like, oh, that's probably not a good sign. So I grabbed one right away, thinking that they may end up, you know, halting production on them. I don't know, but I, I it sounds great. It really does sound great, and I use this all over the Scandroid album. This and, and my keyboard room, which I probably want to show you that real quick too, because I'm gonna just talk forever. There's my TTSH. So this is my ah, that's the kit, the kit 2600. Yep, beautiful. I don't know why that's being so ridiculous, but there's that. Here is my newly purchased uh, Model D. So I did, I had an, uh, an original 73 or 76 model. Um, and about eight years ago, I sold it for the Voyager because I'm thinking, oh, it's the same thing, but you have preset storage and everything else. It's just yeah, it's not the same. It's Midi. not the same thing, is it? No, oh, it's not the same thing. I, I found out the hard way that this thing has its own sound. It's much, it's a little grittier. It's a little meaner and there is a sound. So I use this a lot on the Scandroid album as well. And then here is a mono rocket. Um, I don't even know how many um, uh, HP this is, uh, but there's four. There's four rows of it. Um, I don't know how many across. The, the problem is I'm out of room here too, as you can <laughs> see. And that was why I'm thinking about building one of those racks over here. And ha, you're going to have real trouble just remembering where everything is, surely. Exactly. I mean, it gets, comes I'm, a I'm point where there. I'm kind of already there. <laughs> so it's, but it's fun. I mean, I, I Nick, I'm, I'm spend most of my time in this room by myself. So it's like. Being able to, you know, just access anything I want is kind of exciting to me. Um, here is a, 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 this is a modified. Oh, um, Devilfish, right. Yeah, it's, it's the Devilfish mod, and it's also got a Quicksilver upgrade. So it's got two mods to it that make this thing really. This used to be Alessandro Cortini's, who he then sold it to Josh at Maleco, and then Josh from Maleco sold it to me. Nice. So this is the Retro Mechanical Labs distortion box which uh, I had made custom. In fact, every one of them is custom. It's a beautiful piece of kit, and it sounds awesome. It's just gnarly distortion with true vintage meters in there from, I think that was from like 1923 that he found at like an estate sale. And then let me just quickly take you into the keyboard room. Um, unfortunately, the landscapers are outside. There's my OB6, if you can hear ah, over the get- noise of... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, there's not there's not a lot of uh, poly action going on there, but now I see where it is, right. There it is. So <laughs> oh, this okay. was, yeah, Scandroid, you know, this it was my 80s new wave thing, and I used almost no uh, soft synths at all. I mean, almost everything was all hardware. There's my uh, circuit bent HR16. Sweet. Um, there's obviously the Roland MS20 Mini. There's the uh, Scrotum Smasher. And my Evolver, which I used on a score for the movie The Dunes that I did uh, this year scored a film um and then there's a series of synths i've got two profit 600s a juno 60 juno 106 there's my other ah all fired up and voicing nice yeah they're all fired up how's your repair bill for all this kind of stuff how's your repair bill for all this kind of stuff uh it's pretty it's pretty steep yeah so when i'm not utilizing some of this stuff i definitely turn it off yeah, people forget that vintage stuff does actually cost quite a lot to run and maintain. That's the thing. Yes, yes. I, I had this actually, the 106, uh, modded with a Kiwi board. So now I've got more preset storage, and uh, and now it won't it won't it won't stop playing stuff. But um, yeah, so there you go. You're talking about things breaking, and I hit a key, and now it won't. My my 106 won't turn off. Uh, so there you go. Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. It would have been jinxed anyway. I mean, I, I'll take care of that myself. So, so really, I did a lot of production in here. I, I recorded on that rig, and then I would send the, the Cubase session over to my main room. And uh, and there's my little electronic drum kit. 
Do you still do you, do you still play? Uh, do you still get a chance to play? You know, at manual rhythms a lot, or are you kind of using kind of pre not preset but in the box kind of stuff? Um, I have I have so many sessions over the years that I actually played the drums for and recorded you know gigabytes of sessions. So sometimes I'll pull from those. Um, but the reality is it's a lot quicker to just tap things out on the keys. Um, and, and on the Scandroid record, I actually did pull up 80s drum kits that I made and I actually played them on that kit. Which, And really, to be honest, it was more about just me having fun. I just wanted to do it because it had been so long. So, yeah, that was that was fun for me to do. Wow, so that was kind of whistle-stop tour of your uh, facility. I mean, it must be just so much fun coming to work every day. I mean, it's that's the thing. And you, I mean, we should, we should, you know, because obviously part of the thing, you've got a lot of stuff coming out. You've got the uh, Scandal album that's just just came out last month, well, earlier this month. Uh, a new Circle of Dust album you're working on as well. What else is in the pipeline? So here's the Scandroid album that just came out. So this is my synth wave. It's kind of like 80s new wave, uh, mostly vocal, some instrumental. That just came out. Uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, something like that. This Circle of Dust was my first project, which I really never would have talked about, but I ended up having the ability to buy back my first five albums, which was kind of a miracle to me. So I've remastered all five of those albums and included hours of bonus content. So I've released five albums from my, my past this year alone with a ton of demos, unreleased content, um, so I put out eight albums this year, although five of them were done 20 years ago. And that, that inspired me to actually create a new Circle of Dust album because here we go. Back then, like I was talking about, I didn't know how to produce. I heard things in my head, but I didn't know how to get them. So now that I got the rights back to, to this moniker, Circle of Dust, which was my first real musical project, I thought, what would it be like if I tried to make that sound in the modern day, now that I actually know what I'm doing. And that was actually the impetus of me going, maybe I should do a new song. And then the, a new song turned into, well, I should just do a whole new album. So that, that, this comes out on December 9th. This isn't even out yet. This is definitely on the heavier side, more guitar-oriented, um, heavy synths. Um, and this is definitely like, this you can play for your girlfriend or your wife and she won't be scared. <laughs> Uh, which brings me, so you've been writing loads of new material. You know, you've got what on a, on the surface looks like a whole bunch of disconnected electronics that you bring together into make beautiful. So, how do you write? Where do you, you know, what do you do? Maybe just so we can finish up with that because I'm quite curious about that process. It's it all comes from inspiration. Like right now, I'm on a drum and bass tip. It just I, it just kind of happened. It just uh, I I love drum and bass. Like when I got into electronic music, it was more. European sounding. It, a lot of it was coming from the UK. It was like those are the artists that I listened to, the UK drum and bass scene. Um, and then I got into like psychedelic trance and things like that. And the production just blew my mind. I didn't even know how to get sounds like that. <clears throat> and I kind of came back to it recently. So sometimes it's inspiration like that where I'm going, wow, you know what? I feel like doing a drum and bass track. And then I just jump in and I do one. Um, other times it's like, okay, I'm working on an album. Like if I'm working on a Scandroid album and I'm feeling drum and bass, I, I, I can't do drum and bass because that doesn't fit for that project. So I try to surround myself and keep my brain focused on kind of what I'm going for, like the vibe I'm going for for a particular album. Um, so, you know, the, when I was working on the Scandroid album, I was only firing up my analog synths and I was just um, getting very creative with those. I was watching a lot of like 80s commercials and stuff that was reminding me of like what i saw in the 80s like these i'm like i remember that commercial right so, so it's I, almost like it's almost like method acting in a, in a kind of weird way right well the projects that i do are so diverse musically that if i don't method act them musically then i'm going to end up sounding like a different project on the album so yes that's actually a really great way to put it it, it is it is and i i have a vivid 
and a very active imagination. So that is something that I have the ability to do. It does get a little, the transitions are a little weird because I literally went from Scandroid making like this 80s music, literally switching right over to this, which is super heavy, sample based music and it took me like you know a week to acclimate like okay how do i do this again like what like i mean like 80s drum yeah. samples mode and now i've got to switch over to, to something yeah you don't want too much so how long does it take you to you know generally speaking are you a fast worker do you I, I get the sense that perhaps you are i mean you're probably the sort of guy i hate it i love it let's go you know just do it actually i'm the complete opposite of that i'm the guy who edits things into sterility like i i'll just keep editing and editing and then finally I go oh my god track has no life and then I got to figure out how to bring it back. The thing that I've gotten better at over the years and thankfully within the last few years is how to make quicker decisions. Um, I am, I, I do overanalyze, I do overthink, I want my product to be perfect because it's, a, it's an extension of me. I don't even know if anybody's going to listen to it. That's not why I'm doing it. I'm not doing it because I think people are listening. I'm doing it for me because it's, 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 it's basically an extension of myself. So I just will, every hi-hat, every kick drum, I'm like analyzing and reprocessing. And then I'll get done with the mix and be like, this sounds like crap. And then that, right. that's what actually motivates me to go, let's put that aside and get on. What's next? Like, how do I do something better? I'm always trying to do something better. But, but you know, analog synths have kind of like helped me not only understand synthesis a little better and, and get a result more quickly, but because they are in the modular world, when I'm talking specifically about modular synths, a lot of that isn't recallable. I have to record it, and then what I have is what I have. So I'm basically just pulling out chunks that I go, okay, this is it. This is it. I can't yeah. get that patch back. This sounds good. This is what I'm going to use. And I started getting quicker at making decisions and, and, and writing songs. That's really interesting. It's almost like uh, maybe that's what society needs is an analog therapy session. You know, that's kind of uh, – that, that's the way to do it, right? I think you should be president, Nick. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you. I don't think I've got the right passport, but uh, maybe, you know, if I can figure that out in the future. Clayton, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and I, I wish you every success in your future and, you know, present projects. It's been great to, to speak, and I hope we get to speak again soon. I hope we do. I, it's been an honor. I, I, I watch your videos all the time, and I'm actually looking forward to this year's NAM because I'm going to be watching all your stuff. Well, maybe we can hook up. We'll do a kind of... We'll, we'll hook up together on camera because I think we're going to try and do some live streaming stuff. So, you know, maybe we can have a bit of fun there and you can come and Absolutely. tell us what you if think. You want, if, you want, if you want me, you know I can't stop talking. So you can be like, hey, I know a guy who fill <laughs> yeah. all this space. I'll put a big clock in the uh, on one of the uh, devices and say we've only got this much time. But, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Clayton. Uh, Thank you. Before we go, uh, best place for people to find your stuff. Uh, actually, Clayton.info is where we actually house everything. So you can find everything. You have my film TV ah, credits ah. and all my projects. So it's K-L-A-Y-T-O-N.info. And there you go. Um, there a little is. bit about Circle of Dust, Scandroid, and Cell Dweller, film credits, all the projects I'm working on. I do have a software company called Refractor Audio. I put out sample packs and was working on Eurorack modules, but I think I'm going to abandon that idea right now. So, uh, yeah, all that information can be found at Clayton.info. Clayton, thank you so much. Been a pleasure. Thank you, Nick.